This podcast represents the opinions of Katie Allen, PA, and guests of her show. The content is for informational purposes only and in no way sets up a patient relationship. Consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Now, here's Katie Allen. Here I am, and I am so excited about today's episode because we are going to talk about when breaths go south. And for some of you, they never were anything but south, but for others, they were a little perkier, a little fuller, a little prettier, and now with time, they started to descend. Maybe they've begun to flatten out or deflate. None of these situations is good at all. None of them are attractive. And although we have the lovely engineering of bras, sometimes we would like to look good without those bras on. I'm Katie Allen, and I've been a physician assistant for over 15 years, working in and out of the operating Room, and I am your host for Make Me Pretty Podcast, Tomboy Turn Plastic Surgery PA. Today, we have the awesome opportunity to speak with Dr. Glenn Walton, who is a plastic surgeon north of Atlanta, Georgia. He's a graduate of Dartmouth College and went to Emory University for medical school and completed his residency in general surgery at Emory University General Surgery Program. He completed a fellowship at the University of Texas Southwestern Plastic Surgery, beginning his career as a plastic surgeon in 1995. He started his career as a plastic surgeon in Athens, Georgia, and then joined Northeast Georgia Plastic Surgery in 1990 where he still practices. He is a board-certified plastic surgeon since 1997, and he is a fellow in the American College of Surgeons. I am honored today to welcome Dr. Glenn Walton. Okay, Dr. Walton, tell me about what ladies are supposed to do when their breasts start to go south. Well, people come to visit with myself when lots of body parts have changed over the years, and it doesn't always seem very fair. (laughs) Breasts kind of jump out for a variety of reasons because they undergo some of the biggest changes as we go through different stages of life. Pregnancy is incredibly unfair to breasts. They're wonderful for a while, but then the word deflation comes up and that is nobody's favorite word. (laughs) So people remember both what their breasts were like before having children, oftentimes in their 20s. People remember sometimes what their breasts look like around their second trimester. Full and pretty. In which case they're happy and sometimes their significant other is happy, etc. And then not only do they have to wake up in the middle of the night to try to breastfeed a baby, but then all during that process, their life force is sucked out of them, particularly their breast area, so that they have breasts that remind them more of their mothers than their daughters. And Deflation. That's <laughs> that's the part that I think is kind of a downer, is that you feel very fresh, you feel very young, you've kind of bounced back mentally, but when you look in the mirror and you don't have your top on, you look older than you feel, and that's sometimes your face, sometimes your tummy, but breasts, particularly with some years, uh, because there's a a little bit of stretch to things, but also particularly with having kids. While it's wonderful to children, it can be fairly brutal on a, a woman's body. No joke. When we see that level of relaxation, uh, we, we always try to figure out what are the different reasons why we've lost our perkiness. And there's really two main ones. One is a loss of volume, of course. Sometimes we used to be a C cup, and sometimes, especially during pregnancy, we were a D or even a double D cup. And sometimes that withers away, sometimes to a small C, sometimes to a small B cup. And that's okay if we were comfortable with that size, but if our clothing really doesn't complement us at that size, it sure is nice to add some volume. And that would be in the form of an implant, which can work beautifully for that. The second component is the stretchy component. If there's some droop to the breast, we look at two areas. One is, of course, the nipple position. It is amazing that if a nipple is in a perky position, how we often look at a breast and just assume that that breast belongs to a younger, more sometimes athletic person. So there are some very nice ways to move the nipple upward to make that look prettier. And also when people breastfeed, often we find that the nipple becomes wider. It looks a little bit more
more, again, like your mother's breast instead of your breast, which is also can be a bit of a downer. <laughs> so not only can I raise the position of the nipple, but I can make it more of a cute diameter, one that looks a little smaller, but we find that a slightly smaller nipple can look very youthful and very athletic and, again, very perky. We like very the word true. perky a lot. Yes. And then the second portion after working with the nipple position is if there's any droopy tissues on the bottom part of the breast. Sometimes that can mean that there's a fold in the breast that gets moisture, rashes, which are very aggravating uh, because it's become stretched out. And sometimes the tissue falls to the side, which is also not very attractive for the breast. Those can be tailored as a, a dressmaker would tailor a dress. We can still do those maneuvers to help give a perky appearance to the lower part of the breast. We can make that look more like, again, somebody in their late teens and early 20s before all this kind of stretch occurred. So you can do it with or without an implant if you're doing the lift? Absolutely. Some people have plenty of volume to work with and a lift alone will actually make a pleasing amount of volume and will be just the right look for them. There are others who have really lost a lot of volume. And when we look at pictures together, when we think of different sizes, we both agree that there'd be a lot more happiness if a little bit more youthful volume was there. And I use the phrase youthful circular volume because Mm -hmm. an implant is really the way to add a little bit more of youthful fullness to the upper part of the breast. And sometimes after I review that with a patient, they know that they really would be much happier with an implant. Now, on the good side, it does not have to be a big implant. Sometimes a smaller, more conservative implant can really make a nice classic appearance to the breast. And then there's some people who really would be happier with a little bit more drama. The key thing is that we communicate well with each other about that. And I use the power of internet pictures to help us. I have patients take pictures of uh, breasts that they find to be very pretty, both in uh, bikini tops or sometimes topless, Mm -hmm. um, and just take some screenshots on their phone. And that way we can communicate with each other. So I get a really good sense of what would make a patient happy and try to determine the best method to reach that goal. A lot of people ask me, so I'm asking you, about scars afterwards. So that depends on what kind of lift you have. So what are the kind of the most common areas that you'd have scars or the incisions? Probably the most limited lift are people who have a lower positioned nipple, but the rest of the breast actually looks pretty darn good. And that's a fairly common scenario. For that, if I take a little bit of circular skin from above the nipple and sometimes a little bit below the nipple as well, I can raise that nipple and make a very pleasing diameter to that and only finish with a little incision around the nipple. Some techniques which help to keep that size of the nipple reliably that same diameter. There's a special technique with some sutures that give a little bit extra strength to that. But now if somebody does have some more truly droopy tissue below that area, sometimes like a dressmaker will raise the hem of a dress. Sometimes the breast will look much better if some of that excess tissue is taken out along the bottom part of the breast. And a really nice place to hide that incision is where the breast meets the rest of the uh, chest area. So that's a very natural hiding place. And for all of our incisions, we've got some strategies that try to be very proactive to make the scars look their very prettiest. We've been very successful with having incisions. They always start off a little pink and they're supposed to be a little pink, but over the course of several months to particularly a year, they usually will fade to a nice pale color, which often hides quite well. And we'll often use some strategies using some silicone strips, sometimes some scar creams, and sometimes some paint on silicone, which seem to be some really good strategies to make the scars look very good. I'm also very devoted to making sure that it is an optimal appearance. So occasionally I'll do a small revision later just as a complimentary procedure. If I see something that we both think could be significant, 
significantly better. I'm happy to do that because the more perfect a result looks, the happier I am with it as well. So that makes me sleep better at night. Now, so on stitches, um, are the stitches dissolvable or do they have to come back and get them out? Although I know the answer, but you know, I got to ask him. I knew that she knew the answer <laughs> the entire time. Uh, we find actually one of the things that we've really used very commonly in plastic surgery is we do love dissolvable stitches that hide under the surface. Now, you would think that probably the reason we like it the best is that we do not have to chase after those sutures. I don't want to say torture the patient with sutures. We would make it very <laughs> easy. Uh, in the other ones, they're not bad to come out. But it is very nice and very elegant if we do not have to go chase after those sutures. And we've got a nice fine line closure uh, that's very simple. And it's also easy to work on that very early in terms of quality of scar. Additionally, I think it's very important that if we use those dissolvable stitches that we don't have to worry about little crisscross marks happening when people leave other sutures in too long. I think as plastic surgeons, we're really good. Even if we have stitches that need to come out, we're always thinking, let's make sure we get these out early enough so we don't leave any of those telltale crisscross marks that nobody likes. And -hmm. and those are really because people just didn't know how to remove those early enough. Sometimes we see those in in tummies. (laughs) Sometimes we'll see that from other fields, you know, Mm -hmm. surgery, et cetera. And we'll see little crisscross marks and we'll know that they just weren't quite focused on getting those out early enough to make that look its prettiest. But that's why we like using dissolvable stitches. Easier on the patient and a prettier result. So once the surgery's done and the patient is completely happy and comes back, how long does it usually take for them to return to work? What do you usually tell them? One of the advantages of breast lifts is that the tissues that really hurt the most are muscles. And we know that if you see a football player pull a thigh muscle, (laughs) they go down and they're screaming. (laughs) So that is really painful. Now we do some things that influence muscle. We don't do it as badly as a football player injury, but one of the advantages with just the lift portion of the procedure is it doesn't involve muscle at all. And usually breast tissue, skin, and fat are areas that are usually fairly comfortable to recover from. They're achy, and sometimes I describe them as darn achy, but usually not too bad. Now, if we do an implant, I find that it is an advantage typically to put that under the muscle, which can also be achy, but in general, stretching a muscle like with an implant is a lot less painful than tightening a muscle like with a muscle repair or C-section type of soreness. So it's usually tight feeling, but not as painful as trying to tighten the muscle. So in terms of recovery, usually people are pretty darn comfortable even just after a few days with the lift, maybe a few extra days, perhaps uh, if it had a uh, implant at the same time. So if they had like a desk job, what would you tell them in general? I know it varies, but in general, what would you tell people? I subdivide it into, I always use the expression, if someone had a real easy desk job and then people usually look at me alarmed and I'll say, we're not saying that you have an easy (laughs) desk job, but let's say someone had a super easy desk job. I think for something, either a breast lift or a breast lift with an implant, there's probably about a 50% chance that someone could get back to work even in just a few days. Sometimes it depends on the person. Sometimes people are a little bit tougher. Sometimes it's just kind of the fortune where some nerves are a little bit more sensitive than others. But really, as long as somebody isn't really needing to take, you know, significant pain medication, they can often get back to a desk job, you know, sometimes two or three or four days. Occasionally, uh, people are a little less uh, bounce backable, uh, in which case it might take a week. But I think particularly for a desk job, probably about 80% of people get back in a week. Usually a week for a desk job would be fine. And our employees even show that to be true because here you typically take a lot less time off because we know you can and we try to get people back real quick because we need them. Yes, we love (laughs) having those people back. So when we do work on those and we get to hover over them, which is an advantage, but it's usually when we're fixing broken bones and tendons and we do that in the reconstructive part of our practice rather than the cosmetic part 
but those areas are more sore when we're repairing a fractured hand, if we're doing a carpal tunnel release, if we're doing tendon repairs, those areas, those are more sore and that's longer to get back to, to work involving hands. But usually things with the torso and the face, fortunately, they're actually, especially given the medications we have and some of the strategies we have, I think it's pretty fairly comfortable. And usually most of my patients are very happy with the recovery process. Now, you know that I love exercise. So as I ask you this next question, I know for sure that you can't be doing a lot of strenuous things the first two weeks or so because of the fact that you could have bleeding and that is really kind of a scary thing. But how long do you think that you would be out of exercise for this-ish? You know, I think probably a good phrase would be two to three weeks for this type of a surgery. I I think that three weeks is extra safe. uh, But oftentimes when we visit with somebody a week and a half, two weeks afterwards, they're looking fairly close to foolproof, especially with a nicely supportive bra. Most of our studies have shown that to really recover- Batten down the hatches for sure for these. (laughs) (laughs) You really want a nicely supportive bra afterwards. And, And usually people will shop, you know, right in that time period afterwards just to prepare themselves for some exercise. But I think if somebody was doing something more strenuous, tennis, for example, involves kind of a a hitting motion. People who were... It's like uh, eight weeks maybe for that. or Organized sports. That would be at least probably four weeks. Uh, I think someone could get back to tennis and maybe three to four weeks. And if you smiled at me, really? Not three <laughs> weeks? I might say yes, but I'd only do it if it was safe. But yeah. sometimes I, I get a little bit extra paranoid and I add a little bit of time to my recommendations. But oftentimes I'm very comfortable with giving permission after two to three weeks. Okay. I have one last question just because we know we get asked this so much, but what is the difference between a breast lift and breast reduction? Since they're both kind of doing a lift-like procedure, What's the difference? That is a great question. The funny thing about that question is it's not really a medical question. It's a bureaucratic question Mm -hmm. because both procedures really are identical. They do the same thing and they focus on those two things I mentioned earlier. One is bringing the nipple up to a a pretty position and a pretty diameter. And the other is making that droopy tissue that looks older and not so pretty go away and become a perky shape. Now, if we take out enough tissue that it weighs quite a bit, and if an insurance company is one that would cover that procedure, we just label that a reduction. It's exactly same incisions. Of course, the one difference is we would never do an implant for a reduction because nobody's really looking to get bigger (laughs) that way. Well, it'd be very unusual. I guess it's possible. Very unusual. But if we decide that we can't take off enough heaviness of the tissue for the insurance company to feel like they really need to cover that, let's say somebody's just a D cup and becomes a C cup, that would not be very heavy tissue, even though the shape of the breast would be dramatically different. Then insurance would say, no, they're not quite big enough. We're going to call that a lift instead of a reduction. So really, it's almost semantics. It's the exact same procedure. Sometimes I'll switch back and forth between the two phrases to describe it because I know I'm doing the same thing, but really it's the insurance company involvement that uh, determines whether we're really hanging on to the word reduction or whether we're sort of switching over to the phrase lift. That makes perfect sense. So if somebody was interested in doing a breast lift, how would they go about doing that? Would they call your office or, you know, if they live in a different area, would they call their local plastic surgery? surgeon? Because you are a board-certified plastic surgeon, so we would suggest that they find a board-certified plastic surgeon in their area. But how would they do that? They just make an appointment? Um, If someone's around in our area, we love visiting with new patients. And Mm -hmm. typically, if someone calls up, we try to have someone very friendly on the phone, and uh, they will typically ask if there was a surgeon that you particularly wanted to visit with. We've got four partners here, and they're very nice. Uh, but I'd love to visit with you. Uh, So if you mentioned that you wanted to visit with me, then we could definitely get 
that you set up so that I could visit with you. We try to be very adaptable with our schedules. So if there seems to be a reason that the appointment isn't quite getting to the timing that you like, uh, if you just call back, we can often be adaptable and fiddle with schedules to make it work for you. Now, if you live far away in another area of the country or another part of the world, because this podcast has been spreading very nicely, (laughs) um, then I do think what Katie said is very important. I think board certification is a very nice threshold that someone needs to cross that would lend itself to the amount of exposure they are to the right kind of surgical techniques. And a good reputation, obviously. And a good reputation. And uh, it just shows that you have a certain level you know, of expertise and I would say quality because boards are not easy to obtain. Uh, there are some boards out there that I won't go to at present uh, that perhaps aren't classic boards, but plastic surgery boards are very classic boards, much like general surgery boards and uh, other types of boards. But it does take a very prolonged practice to achieve those boards, and they're very rigorous about uh, who they grant that to and who they don't. So I think that's a really good thing to look for. Well, thank you, Dr. Walton, for stopping by Yay! and talking to me. Yay! He had to go a long way <laughs> down the hall this week with me, but I really, really, really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to our listeners. This chair is so comfy. <laughs> I want to come back. This is, this is more comfortable than my chair, but that's another that's another topic for another day. And if we are lucky enough, we will get him back for some more things in the future, as well as some other guests. Bye, guys. Thank you to all of you who listen, subscribe, download, follow, go to my website. All of the things that support this podcast, it does make it possible, and I appreciate you taking the time to stop and to listen, to spread the word to other people. I love hearing that you're doing that as well, as that really does energize me and feel free to even message me through Instagram at Make Me Pretty Podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook at Make Me Pretty Podcast as well, or on website is www.makemepretty.org.